Son of a bitch! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show, to the glorious show. Um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, tuned today, am I? I'm a little bit, uh, my voice is a little bit not on point, non-rhythmic, not on pitch. Um, so, busy show today, um... We're going to talk about this insurrection commission, which is uh, something the Democrats are pursuing. We're going to talk about um, how Republicans think cancel culture is the number one issue in the country. That's beyond hilarious. Um, I also will be extensively making fun of Dave Rubin, which is always good. Um, I will talk, you know what, I'm actually going to lead with the story coming out of Texas the winter storm coming out of Texas, because um, there's an angle to it which is just too perfect. Um, and what else do I have for you? Later on today, the media disgustingly sucks off Joe Biden, and so we'll talk about how they're giving him the world's uh, sloppiest, passionate BJ of all time, um, which is gross. So without further ado, let's get started. Like I said, I'll do that with a little bit of an off-the-cuff segment. I want to talk to you guys about, you know, the anatomy of a right-wing lie, because we're seeing, like, the perfect example of it unfold in real time over the past day or two, um, and it's really something to behold. So there's a very, very rare winter storm that's just obliterating Texas. I mean, all of Texas was impacted by this storm. Um, even like the most southern tip of Texas, 
is impacted by this storm. And so there's snow in a lot of places. It's actually a little bit of a worst case scenario because now as I talk to you um, this morning, there's freezing rain also, which for those of you who don't know about winter weather, freezing rain is actually worse than snow because freezing rain, it can just ice over everything and everything becomes an ice skating rink. And even with like four wheel drive or all wheel drive, you're kind of screwed. So there are a number of problems that come about as a result of a winter storm hitting Texas. One thing is, and this isn't just Texas, this is everywhere in the deep south, so Louisiana, same thing, um, and other places, same thing. They don't have that many plows. So, you know, when a, when a storm hits here in New York, there's a significant amount of money in our state and local budgets that's allocated towards salt and allocated towards plows. And so, you know, we're pretty much ready to go. We've been dealing with it forever that whenever there's a storm, boom, you hit it, you hit it immediately and you get the roads ready to go almost instantaneously. I mean, there's a little bit of a gap where like, you know, some roads takes a while to get plowed or whatever, but very quickly you'll be able to get back on the road. Since there's a lack of plows and a lack of salt and a lack of preparation and a lack of money allocated in the budgets in the South, um, it's a problem. So like, uh, you know, two inches of snow, three inches of snow could shut down entire giant cities. And that's what we're witnessing now. I mean, also when you look at the temperature, with the wind chill, it's damn near zero degrees in, in frickin' Houston, or at least it was. Dallas, same thing. So, you know, very, very rare winter storm. So, but it gets worse. The Texas power grid couldn't handle the need for power. And so a lot of people lost their power. Now, it's bad enough when you lose your power, like in the summer. It's way worse in the winter. Because people, you need heat to survive. So it's sort of like deadly if the power goes out and it's out for an extended period of time. Some people have already died from trying to warm themselves up in their cars and they're sitting in their garage with the car on and they accidentally poison themselves with carbon monoxide and they die. So huge, huge, huge issue. You got power outages all over Texas and it's in the middle of a winter storm. So what do the Republican politicians do? They immediately come out and start blaming Things that are not to blame that are left-wing things. So they go, ah, this proves that the Green New Deal would be a failure for America. How is the thing that's not implemented and, and not, doesn't exist in terms of policy, like no place has implemented a Green New Deal. How can you blame a Green New Deal for this? Well, what they say is the problem is the, it was so cold that the windmills froze over and there's a lot of power in Texas that comes from windmills. And so it's the, if we didn't have, you know, wind, wind power for a lot of Texas, we wouldn't have had this issue. That is a total and complete unmitigated brazen over lie. They're lying and they know they're lying. So what are the facts? The reason why the Texas power grid couldn't handle this is actually because the coal and natural gas infrastructure froze over. So it's the exact opposite of what they're saying. In fact, um, about 20% of Texas's electricity comes from wind power, and the places that get it from wind power, they were overperforming compared to the places that get it from coal and natural gas. You know what the real problem was? They didn't winterize the infrastructure. 
because it's very rare that they get winter storms. They're like, I don't know, roll the dice. Let's not winterize it. And they didn't winterize it. And you fucked around and you found out. Now a lot of people don't have power. So the real problem was the lack of efficient regulations because other states force, you know, the, the infrastructure to be winterized so that when something like this happens, you're protected and you're safe and the power won't go out. Texas rolled the dice, as you know, very right-wing state in terms of the government there. And as a general rule, they're anti-regulation. And so they thought, we don't need, you know, regulations that say winterize the infrastructure. And this is what happened. They didn't winterize the infrastructure. And so it was the natural gas and the coal infrastructure that froze. So uh, again, I just need everybody to understand something. They are lying at a thousand miles an hour. The second this happened, that talking point was released. And I'm, it was probably from the fossil fuel industry that they released this talking point. The problem is the windmills froze over, and that's why there's power outages. So blame green energy. There's been windmills in Antarctica for over a decade. In fact, you know what they do with windmills? They heat them. They heat them so that when it gets freezing, they can still work. They've had windmills in Antarctica for over a decade. The issue is not windmills. The windmills overperform. The issue is the lack of regulations to winterize the infrastructure. And so the natural gas infrastructure froze, as did the coal infrastructure. So they're lying at 1,000 miles an hour. I've heard this talking point from a variety of Republican politicians, um, and I've also heard it endlessly on Fox News. I just want to be clear about this. They are lying. They are lying, they are lying, they are lying, and they know they're lying. Now you know the facts. So go out there and educate people and let them know this is a bullshit fossil fuel talking point. That's what this is. And the fact of the matter is, if they had more wind power, they would have been better off. Or if they winterized their infrastructure, they would have been better off. So the real takeaway is a lack of efficient regulations was the problem, not green energy. But this is what they do. They're sleazy and they lie. And by the way, I should also know, this will be a final point in this segment here, but there were pictures of like downtown Houston was lit up like the Vegas Strip. They had power. Nobody was even, was even in the industrial, the work buildings the towers and whatnot in downtown Houston. Um, but it was lit up. In residential areas, in many lower-income residential areas, power was out. So they were doing these rolling blackouts. And why would you keep power for the business district when not many people are in the business district and shut it off for some residential areas? And then they pretended like they didn't do anything wrong. Unbelievable, man, unbelievable. Just know they're lying. Don't buy into the propaganda because that's exactly what it is, propaganda. Okay, next. Let me tell you about how Democrats can't let go of the Trump era. So we have a story here. Many people on the Democratic side are really excited about this, happy about this, be bragging about this even. But let me share it with you, and then I'll tell you my thoughts. 
Pelosi says a 9-11 style commission is needed to investigate capital breach. 9-11 style commission. Now, up front, let me say the 9-11 commission report is really not the end all be all. It's got mistakes all over it. Um, You could say perhaps it was necessary to do, but the idea that there was much of value that came from that, I think that's a hard case to make. I do. So to say, let's do a 9-11 style commission report for the capital breach. What should be done is arrest everybody who broke the law, which by the way, they did, or they arrested a lot of the people who broke the law, bring them up on charges. And then beyond that, fire any of the Capitol Police people who did a bad job or were in on it with the protesters and beef up security. That's it. That's all you have to do. Why would you want to do a 9-11 style commission report? Why would you want to do it? I'll, I'll, let me ask you guys, and you answer this in your head before I give my take on it. Why would they want to do this? Why would they want to do this? The answer is they cannot let go of the Trump era, and they cannot let go of defining themselves primarily as the anti-Trump party. And they also want to lean into the strategy of saying, we're the intelligent college-educated people, and the other side are a bunch of knuckle-dragging QAnon-believing idiots. That's why they want to do this, because it allows them to keep defining themselves as the anti-Trump party. It feeds that narrative that they want to be the predominant narrative in politics even after Trump is gone. I almost knocked over my 100,000 YouTube thingy. Honestly, I think this is deeply unserious, and it's not helpful. And, you know, I got a bridge to tell you if you really think that this is like a bunch of serious analytical Democrats. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of what happened. We know what happened. We know exactly what happened. President Trump talked out of both sides of his mouth. He egged on an attempted insurrection and an attempted coup. Um, His people, some of them were drunk on QAnon. Some of them were parts of, you know, various uh, domestic terrorist or or militia groups. And they caused chaos as a direct result of the propaganda from One American News Network, Newsmax, Donald Trump himself. Some of them were in desperate places in their lives. Some have mental health issues. Some have horrendous financial issues. We know what led to what happened, and we know what it was about. Why, why do you need to do this? You don't need to do this. They want to do this because it keeps their side of the culture war going. That's what it is. All, okay, this is a point I, I have to explain to people, just like with the impeachment thing, when they're impeaching him when he's already out of office, or trying to at least. You have limited time and resources. You, need to, you, you don't have a choice. You have to prioritize. And, and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense? What am I going to invest time, money, and effort into? To pick this, to invest time, money, and effort into, when we know what happened and the people have been arrested, I mean, this is just the functional equivalent of these guys jerking themselves off. That's what it, Keep it real. It allows them to accurately describe themselves as we're the victims. We're the victims. What happened was unacceptable. We all agree to that. So now let's talk about it endlessly for like a year to come and have hearings on it and release reports on it and, you know, use this to feed the hysteria and and the endless culture war narrative. We're never going to get anywhere 
with this nonsense, ever. It's like th- it, you're filling your time with everything but $2,000 checks, living wage, which Biden just backed off of, Medicare for all. Like, I'm sorry, but this is how, this is their attempt to pat their base on the head and say, good little base, you're going to show up and keep voting for us, right? See, we're fighting for you. Look at this hearing we're having on the attempted insurrection. Good little base. You're going to keep being being a good little boy and good little girl and, and showing up and voting for us, and we'll pretend like we're really fighting for you as we do empty culture war virtue signaling. Listen, I'll say it again. We know what happened. People have been arrested, rightly so, for breaking the law. We know what the motivations were. We have a lot of video from inside, and we saw exactly how it unfolded and what happened. What do you need a 9-11 commission-style report for? What do you need it for? It's all virtue signaling and political posturing, and it's empty culture war political posturing. And they're never going to let go of the Trump era. Listen, there's a lot of evidence now, numbers that have come out that show, yes, post-Trump, the ratings for these mainstream media networks plummeted. So they're trying to find another angle, get those ratings up, and, you know, have that Trump bump again. There's like a a functional equivalent or something akin to it also happening in D.C. among the politicians. They just can't let go of it. They can't let go and move on. They can't do it. And so they want to keep the show going. Uh, Listen, I think it's a waste of time, and I think you're lying to yourself if you think anything is going to come out of this. Nothing is going to come out of this. Okay. Next. Let me show you Jim Jordan. And the thing that he went viral for. Representative Jim Jordan went on Fox News to whine about the issue of cancel culture, and he went viral with this clip. said the Diane Feinstein Elementary School will no longer be named after Senator Feinstein, a liberal icon. Not good enough because 37 years ago she said something the cancel culture doesn't like. That's how ridiculous, that's how dangerous this is. And the latest one is, is Mr. Vanderveen, who did a great job defending the president. He's faced it now. But if we don't push back on this and stop it and stand up, as Mr. Dershowitz said, stand up for the Constitution and the First Amendment, it will only get worse. And so this is the number yeah. one issue for the country to today. He said it's the number one issue for the country to address today. And he's talking about cancel culture. The number one issue? I'm sorry, but these guys get lost up their own ass. This is like the wealthy, comfy, secure person's number one issue. You know what I mean? The number one issue. I don't know if you noticed, we have a pandemic and we have a depression. How many times have I gone through the economic data with you guys? It is really scary out there. Before the pandemic, nearly 80% of the country was living paycheck to paycheck. What do you think it's like now? 30% of the country, and this is as of three, four months ago now, but 30% of the country couldn't pay their mortgage or their rent. Nearly 30 million were on the brink of homelessness. 
just put that in perspective, we have maybe 400,000 to 800,000 thereabouts homeless people in the country. Nearly 30 million are on the brink. 60% of the businesses that have closed because of COVID are now permanently closed. I'm talking small businesses. 60%. We are in a new Great Depression. We're in it. And don't even get me started on the healthcare angle. Nearly half a million people are dead. Half a million from a pandemic. Half a million. He says cancel culture is the number one issue. Are you, we don't even have universal health care. We're the only developed country that doesn't have universal health care, and there's a pandemic. And medical bills is one of the top causes of bankruptcy. And you think cancel culture is the biggest issue? And by the way, they don't even have like a working definition or a, or, or a clear standard when they talk about cancel culture. When he says cancel culture, he means anything I don't like. You know, because I could give examples of, hey, man, Nathan J. Robinson just got fired because he did a sarcastic tweet at the expense of Israel. Is that cancel culture? I guarantee you Jim Jordan would say no. No what? He'd say no. Antifa just got their, a bunch of Antifa accounts just got their Twitter accounts pulled down. Is that cancel culture? The Chapo Trap, Chapo Trap House Reddit just came down. Is that cancel culture? My guess is for all these things, he wouldn't say Dick. Because for him, it's all convenient, partisan, bullshit narrative stuff. You know? Um, Wealthy people whining about having people dislike what they say, that's not the number one issue in the country. And let's be clear, I'm on the record as I'm against deplatforming. I'm against censorship. I'm one of the loudest, most aggressive voices on the left on this issue. But I also understand it's not literally the number one issue. And by the way, if you really want to talk about free speech issues, you got anything to say about Julian Assange? You got anything to say about Edward Snowden? I mean, the, the, the number one, the biggest issue when it comes to free speech, the biggest issue. You have anything to say about that? It's, it's not just the principle of the First Amendment at play here, like it is with all the big tech companies. This is actually the legality of the First Amendment of the Constitution. Do you have anything to say about that? Should we pardon Assange and Snowden? You're going to talk about cancel culture and free speech and not bring up the number one issue involving that. I mean, honestly, these guys are a joke, man. These guys are a joke. And by the way, they, they scream cancel culture. They won't even tell you what the solution is. Like, I could tell you the solution. The solution for the problem that he's talking about is you expand the First Amendment to apply to all these big social media companies. And so now you have First Amendment protections and you view these social media companies as the new public square. That's the solution. That's the answer. Now, these guys whine all day, but they never give you any solutions. They never tell you, hey, here's the approach that we should take. Or if anything, they give you the wrong answer, this repealing Section 230 thing. The, uh, Section 230, it's... It's this idea that you can't sue Twitter or Facebook for things that people post. They have a protection. They have protection because they're like a medium where people can post stuff. They want to repeal Section 230, and they think that'll lead to more free speech. That's not what will happen. If you repeal Section 230 and you allow Facebook or Twitter to be sued, they'll just crack down more 
on free speech than they already are. The idea of that as a solution is just insane. It's not a solution. They have no idea what they're getting themselves into if they're asking for that. But of course, they're, I mean, he's a conservative. There's no way he's going to give like the correct solution. The correct solution being, um, you know, treat all these big social media companies as public utilities, regulate them as such. And by the way, that doesn't mean you can dox. It doesn't mean you could, you know, do direct threats of violence. You can't do that either way. And that's against the law in the United States of America as well. But that's the approach for the issue that he's talking about. It's just, obviously, his, his outrage meter is broken. Pandemic, depression, endless wars, on the brink of another war with Iran. Cancel culture is the number one issue. I mean, it's just, it's pathetic. And it really is to the point where these guys, they're one-trick ponies. I mean, think of Jim Jordan, think of Dave Rubin. His, literally, his only point is, the woke mob is bad. That's it. That's his only point. No matter what they're talking about, it comes back to that. Don't you guys get tired of this? Don't you get tired of it? And also, don't you get tired of being a partisan hack and not acknowledging that there are just as many censorious little pricks on the right? Beyond silly, beyond silly, I, you know, there's a reason why this clip went viral. Because now everybody's seeing through this hollow, gross trick. So there's a new 2024 primary poll that I have to show you, and boy, is it something. Trump is dominating. This is from Politico and Morning Consult. Trump's at 53% in this poll, 53%. Mike Pence, 12%. Donald Trump Jr., 6%. Nikki Haley, 6%. Mitt Romney, 4%. Ted Cruz, 4%. Marco Rubio, 2%. Mike Pompeo, 2%. Hawley, 1%. Cotton, 1%. Tim Scott, 1%. It goes on there. Gnome 1%, Hogan 1%, Rick Scott 0%. So, listen, um, this is incredible. This is incredible. It's incredible for a number of reasons. I think the fear of the establishment Republicans and like the Mitch McConnell types is they're thinking, oh my God, if he runs again, he's going to get the nomination, but then there's no way he wins the general election. Now, I'm actually... I'm more agnostic on that point than they are. They, they think if he wins the nomination that the Republicans are screwed and they're totally going to lose. I think, um, I don't know what would happen in a general election. I do think he would win the nomination, but then I don't know what would happen in the general election. I think it's, again, I'm just agnostic on that point because it depends who the Democrats run. And, you know, I could easily see sort of a repeat of the Hillary Clinton election with, uh, with Kamala Harris, you know, and, but it's also possible that the anti-Trump sentiment is still there and it's fervent enough where it would be the same thing as Biden, where it's like anything but Trump will do. So I, I don't know what would happen in a general election. What I do know is Donald Trump is straight draxing them sclounced, son. And think about it. Right underneath Trump is Pence, 12%. And I would, I would argue that it's his connection with Trump which puts him up there. Now, I get it at the end. They, they were not getting along because Trump was pissed he didn't try to not certify the election or whatever. But still, when people think of Pence, they still think of Trump and Pence. So, you know, I don't think that that was a permanent stain in people's minds where they're fractured and permanently fractured. So you have the Trump wing of the party is the top three. 53% for Trump, 12% for Pence, 6% for Trump Jr. By the way, Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) President cocaine. 
Um, so this is wild. Now, the other thing is Trump just released a statement going after, uh, not Mitt Romney, I'm sorry, uh, going after Mitch McConnell. Because Mitch McConnell did the thing like, oh, he's guilty, you know, he egged on the insurrection, but I'm going to vote not guilty for impeachment. But that wasn't enough for Trump. Voting the way that he wanted him to was not enough. He slammed him for what he did when he egged on the insurrection. And in that letter, Trump said something along the lines of, we can never support the Republican Party like this. So it's not just Mitch McConnell's bad, Mitt Romney's bad. It wasn't that. It was like, look at how bad this Republican Party is. Why am I stressing this and highlighting it? Because that tells me he's very much leaning in the direction of, I'm going to start the Patriot Party, a new third party, and I'm going to try to win that way. Yummy in my tummy, Donald. By all means, go right ahead. Now, why is that insane? It's insane because the system is structurally rigged against third parties. So basically what you're doing is self-disenfranchising when he goes that route. In other words, if he ran as a Republican, he would go from having a very decent chance to win again. He'd definitely win the primary and then might win the general, right? He would go from a decent chance to win again to if he runs third party, there's no chance. There's no chance. You know, okay, let's say he takes... It's so heavily rigged against third parties that you probably won't even get on the ballot in a lot of places. But if you were to run as a, as a third party person, it would just split the Republican vote and he would get maybe 15%, which is a lot. You know, the record for a third party in the modern era is Ross Pro. He got like 9%, something like that. So Trump would get maybe 15%. You want to go nuts, say maybe 20%. That would just split the Republican vote. And that would make it so whoever the Democrat is, they would win. I mean, you could, somebody who's got zero political talent and is a mess would win. Frickin' bet on my stork could win. Mayor Pete could win. Amy Klobuchar could win. In a situation where Trump starts a Patriot Party, somehow, he'll somehow get 10 to 20% of the vote. Even if people just have to write him in, he'll get 10 to 20%. Some establishment Republican will split it with Trump and then no competition for the Democrats. But of course, that would have the downside of you think the Democrats are bad now, they would get progressively worse and worse and worse, knowing that there's zero competition to them. So they, they would become, I mean, they already are basically moderate Republicans. They would become just Republicans. <laughs> like, they would, they would be even further right, I think. I think that that's how it would unfold. But 53%, he is crushing everybody. So the Republicans definitely have a dilemma here. They have a real dilemma. You know, they can't break free from Trump. But also, he just proved himself to be a loser. You know, look at what happened in the election. Granted, there was some underperformance from the Democrats, but Trump lost. Trump lost. You know, uh, Democrats won the Senate. There's one thing he was right about in his piece going after Mitch McConnell. He said, Mitch McConnell matched the Democrats $2,000 with $600. And he said, that's why you lost Georgia. Because you need it to be for the $2,000 checks. Big guy's kind of right on that one. But he must be licking his chops that the Democrats didn't deliver on the 2000. That might be part of, if he runs again, that might be part of his, his argument that they didn't deliver. They said they were going to give you 2000. They didn't. I don't know, but the Trump era is both completely done because he lost and he's gone. He's not even on Twitter anymore. But it's also not because he might just try to weasel his way back in. And see, the problem is, guys, 
the establishment of both parties are just a house of cards. Like, nobody actually really likes them. You know what I mean? Like, nobody really likes the establishment of both parties. They tolerate them. Yeah, okay. You know, some people are like, yeah, they're fine. But nobody really likes them. Trump, for all his flaws, has a group of people that really like him. And so, whenever you're dealing with somebody like that, you never know what could happen. So, everything is totally up in the air, and these new numbers should scare you. Okay. All right, next. Morning Joe uh, is back to being horrendous. Remember when we had that, like, one week where suddenly he was like, FDR's awesome, bro. I love social democracy. What's up? He did that for one week, and then he immediately went back to normal corporatist asshole Morning Joe. So here he is now talking about foreign policy. Look at what he's going to try to convince Biden to do. Before, the two, before 2011, I kept asking the question, when are we going to bring the troops home? Uh, after that, after the rise of ISIS, uh, it, became, it became pretty evident that there are just some countries where if we are going to be the indispensable power on this, the, this planet, if we want to stop terrorist attacks from hitting our allies and the United States, the 2,500 troops... 5,000 American troops as part of a larger international peacekeeping force, that's an insurance policy against future 9-11s. I I hope that Joe Biden and I hope that America's leaders, Republican and Democratic alike, will start uh, framing this uh, in the way that you were were explaining it. Uh, And I wish that, that we would have had a leader that could have explained what America was doing what special ops forces were doing in Syria uh, when we were not only protecting the Kurds, but pushing back against the Syrians and the Russians. No, absolutely. Uh, I really dislike the phrase forever wars because it's pejorative. It's, it's, it's not really accurate. You know, forever presence or open-ended presence is, is okay. And as you rightly say, we've had it for 70, 75 years in parts of Europe and parts of Asia. And guess what? We've kept the peace. And we've kept the peace at a modest price. And I think we're not going to keep the peace in Afghanistan. There's no peace to keep. But we can maintain an authority there that controls many of the cities. And while it's imperfect, it's far preferable to the alternative. People seem to forget that that 9-11 was carried out by people who were trained in Afghanistan. So there's a history here. So, again, yes, it's easy to pull your troops out. And in the short run, we'll, quote, unquote, save money and the like. But we shouldn't kid ourselves. We are not immune to developments there. And we will once again pay a longer-term price for any short, shorter-term gain. So, again, I'm hoping that the administration sees it through. I mean, just as you were saying, and then we have to go back in, right? just like Iraq. We don't have to go back in. Look at the way they frame these discussions. The way they, defer, they frame these discussions is with the premise that everybody already buys into is we're the world's sole superpower, we're the imperialist nation, we're the indispensable nation, we're the world policeman. So if something happens somewhere that's bad, we need to go there and make sure we get a handle on the situation. That's such a naive, 
kindergarten view of what they think the role of America is. They think we just, we just genuinely care for all these countries, bro, and we're trying to maintain peace and security and order. We don't even have peace and security and order in Flint, Michigan. They don't even have clean water. Do we really care about everybody's well-being when we can't even get our own people clean water? Is this some sort of joke? But I'm supposed to believe you care deeply about the people in Kandahar. Fuck out of here. What are the real reasons? What are the real reasons you're there? It's not as simple as, who, us, bro? We're good guys. And we're going to go do good guy things, bro. That's what we do. Is that how any imperialist nation worked throughout history? That everybody was just, you know, when the Persian Empire was the leading empire in the world or when there was various Chinese empires. Is that what they were doing? We're going to help other places. We have the best of intentions. No, no. These are the pretty little lies that they tell themselves to make them think, like, we're the good guys. By definition, don't ever question our motives or our intent. Well, I'm questioning your motives, and I'm questioning your intent. Because guess what? As Smedley Butler said, a lot of people make a lot of money from war. War is a racket. Or Dwight Eisenhower. There's the military-industrial complex. that He warned of the military-industrial complex. Beware the military-industrial complex. Because there's a perverse incentive to keep war going. Now, is that the only reason they do it? No. I do think they buy into the propaganda of, like, we're the good guys and we need to do this stuff. But how much evidence do you need that that's nonsense? How much evidence do you need? Guys, in Afghanistan, do you know we allied ourselves with warlords? And these warlords had child sex slaves? And then when our soldiers blew the whistle on that, our soldiers were muzzled and discharged. Hey, shut up about the fact that our allies fuck kids. If the whole idea of us being there is to bring security and order, and we're allying with the people who are fucking kids... I don't think we're bringing about order. I don't think that's what we're doing at all. In fact, I think it has a lot more to do with the military-industrial complex, with the no-bid contracts and a lot of people getting wealthy off of it. In Iraq, when it's oil. In uh, Afghanistan, it's perhaps opium and trillions of dollars worth of mineral wealth and the geopolitical chessboard where we want to maintain a strategic advantage over Russia and China. There's a lot more that goes into it. But they buy into this notion of, like, we got to do it because, like, we're the good guys. I love... People overuse Orwellian, but this is Orwellian. He says, I dislike the phrase forever wars. I like to think of it as forever presence or open-ended presence. Let me put my positive spin on the thing that is objectively shitty. <laughs> wars going on forever. And he's like, it's a good thing because we just have a presence. It's just a presence. It's just an open-ended presence. That's it. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is our infrastructure gets a grade of D plus, And you care more about the infrastructure in, in Kabul than you do in Cleveland. Okay, that's just one of many, many, many problems. But, and also, we, how, why do you think we have a right to do these things? Because the original reasons that were given for Afghanistan and Iraq, okay, it's over, son. It's done. You told me you got to get Saddam Hussein. He's been dead for a long time. You told me you got to get Osama bin Laden. He's been dead for a long time. You told me we got to get Al-Qaeda because Al-Qaeda is being hidden by the Taliban. Well, guess what? If, according to our own intelligence agencies, as of a decade ago, there were a couple hundred or fewer al-Qaeda operatives left in Afghanistan. So what are you doing? Declare victory and come home. See, that's how you know it's all bullshit. Is because now they're at the point where they don't even try to give you a good story. They don't even try to give you, here's what we're doing, here's how much money it's going to cost, here's what the end goal is. They don't tell you any of that stuff. There is no end goal. They're admitting, just let's just stay there forever. And then they have the nerve to say, well, it's preferable to the alternative. Why? 
Why? Why is it preferable to the alternative? Because if we leave, then there's going to be fighting and stuff. It's, it, people are going to get hurt. As opposed to now? As opposed to now, where there's fighting and stuff, and people get hurt, and we're there, and our own people do too, and we add to the net suffering, like when we bombed a hospital and killed civilians. Even, even if it gets worse when we leave, what's that, that's, what does that have to do with us? We have no right to even be in there in the first place. You want to help them and, like, you know, give them some resources to prop up the secular government and hope that they can withstand the Taliban? Yeah, okay, fine, whatever. But the idea that we just stay there permanently, and they have the nerve to say, remember 9-11? 9-11 was bad, and, like, Afghanistan had a lot to do with it. Remind me again who the 9-11 hijackers were. They were Saudi Arabia. Remind me again what Saudi Arabia is. Oh, they're one of our top allies. Remind me again what's going on with them now. Oh, that's right. We're arming them. We're funding them. And they're doing a genocide in Yemen. They also happen to spread an extremist version of Islam all around the globe. And again, we arm them and fund them. Perhaps if you want to make sure there's not another Al-Qaeda attack or ISIS attack, you stop funding this radical ideology. You stop funding, for example, jihadists on the ground in Syria. Maybe you do that. Maybe you do that. Not like, let's permanently occupy Afghanistan forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's amazing how easy it is to dupe these idiots. And now they're you know, willing participants in disgusting propaganda. And think about how disconnected this is from the American people and what they want. As of like five years ago, the war in Afghanistan was already more unpopular than the war in Vietnam at its height. Think about that. Think about that. Vietnam was wildly unpopular. Afghanistan was less popular. So they're talking about it as, well, this is obvious that we need to do this stuff. Nobody in America agrees. The overwhelming majority say, you're wrong. Bring the troops home. Let's spend our own money here. We have a country without universal health care in the middle of a pandemic, and you want to keep spending billions of dollars policing Kabul and Kandahar. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. See, this is why we need more direct democracy, because if people voted on this, everybody would say, let's get the fuck out. Conservative, liberal, doesn't matter. Everybody would be like, let's go. What are we doing? So, I mean, this is the worst. Morning Joe is horrendous. And that one week where he was pretending to be social democratic was, um, you know, it was a diamond in the rough, but everything else is rough to say the least. Okay. All right. Let me take a break. When we come back, we're still got a lot to get to. The right-wing anti-Trump Republican group, the Lincoln Project, was unmasked. We're going to talk about that and much, much more. Stay right there, y'all.
Son of a bitch. What's up, everybody? I'm back. I am back. I am back. And I still got quite a bit of knowledge to pour up in your cranium. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, go after the Lincoln Project because they have it coming. These assholes have it coming. The right-wing anti-Trump Republican group, the Lincoln Project, has finally imploded for all of us to see. So it was only a matter of time until this was going to happen. This, this, by the way, is about to be the first and last time you'll ever see me play a news report from Fox Business, and it's not to critique it. This is actually just, you know, this is relatively straightforward and factual stuff. So here's what happened with the Lincoln Project. From the scandals rocking the anti-Trump establishment Republican group called the Lincoln Project, we're learning tens of millions of dollars that flowed into the political fundraising powerhouse went directly into companies run or controlled by its founders. Here now is The Hill's media columnist and Fox News contributor, Joe Concha. Joe, great to see you. Wonderful column in The Hill about all this. Let's start with the money, because there's a lot to talk about on here. Uh, Lincoln Project raised about $90 million, if I have it right, to defeat uh, Donald Trump. Where exactly did that money go? $27 million, David, went towards advertising Lincoln Project. Uh, was very effective in that regard in terms of creating the type of ads that got a lot of pick up by the media and play on other cable networks anyway. So 27 million out of 90 million advertising. 50 million, however, went towards firms controlled by leaders of the Lincoln Project. So if I'm, say, uh, Gordon Getty, who uh, donated a million dollars, or David Geffen, who donated $500,000, I kind of want to know, did my money actually go towards the purpose of this project, which is to defeat Trump and ultimately also defeat Republican senators, or was this to line the pockets of the very people that are running this project? We, we, we don't know that, but it looks very fishy right now, and several reports uh, seem to indicate that it was the latter, that this was about lining their pockets even after, by the way, David, in June, they were told about John Weaver right. and those horrible uh, text messages. Well, we'll, we'll get to, to that in just boys, a second, John. But sex. One yeah. of the ironies of, of this is that one of the major bombshells that the Lincoln Project came out with was tying Trump officials to, to getting some of their organizations reaping the benefits of money that was supposed to go to the Trump campaign. That was a bombshell. It turns out they were doing exactly the same thing, right? That's exactly right. And, and look, it, these guys were media darlings, uh, and I speak in past tense because I, I think now this, this Lincoln Project is dead, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a second, because they were put on CNN, MSNBC, and aggregate dozens of times, 60 minutes, CBS, two weeks before the election, did a glowing profile on the Lincoln Project. And what these guys were ultimately, David, were some sort of, if you put Michael Avenatti into a cloning machine, out came Steve <laughs> Schmidt or... Rick Wilson or uh, George Conway, who's uh, on track to win another Husband of the Year award, no question about that, uh, exploiting his name, obviously, Kellyanne Conway being the former yeah. senior counselor to the president. So uh, that, that, that's what happened here. And then even after these allegations came out, David, against John Weaver 17 times, 
Lincoln Project co-founders are on TV and they weren't asked about it once, which is just remarkable considering that this, this is a very serious allegation as far as soliciting young boys for sex. And then obviously there's the money issue as well. So, yeah. It really is quite a story. Um, so you have this group. It's a bunch of Republicans, but it's like the elitist establishment Republicans, the George W. Bush era Republicans. So they're for all the terrible policies. They just put on that veneer of respectability and seriousness and like, we get along in polite society. Do you get along in polite society? I love getting along in polite society. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's smell our gas together. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> so that's the, <laughs> that's the variety of right-winger they are. The ones that like, think they're high-minded and intellectual and wonderful, but really they're for all the shitty policies, and they're just in, like, they're the decorum humpers, the civility humpers. So they don't like Trump, but they don't like Trump for all the dumbest reasons. They don't like Trump because he's unhinged, and he, and he tweeted a lot, and he has no decorum and civility, and he goes for the jugular. Like, that's why they don't like Trump. It's not like they disagreed with Trump on, you know, his giant tax cut bill where 83% of the benefits went to the top 1%. They love that stuff. They love the endless wars. They love all that stuff. And these guys have seriously not good pasts, to say the least, okay? So um, that's who they are. They set up this group to run anti-Trump ads. And, man, were they a hit. And some of the, uh, listen, I'm not going to lie to y'all. Maybe like 10% of them were really good. The other one, like sometimes it was just a typical like drivel, like they all in on Russia Gate and shit, just stupid. But really their whole existence was to shake down resistance wine moms. Like the MSNBC crowd, the let me have some Xanax and, uh, and some wine in the middle of the day uh, crowd as they wait for Maddow to come on at night. Like that crowd just started showering money on them. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, we love you so much. Tell me more banal anti-Trump things. So um, they ended up raising a lot of money. And so they walked you through it there, but let me repeat it. Of the 90 million that they raised, 90 million they raised, 90 million, 27 of it went to the ads. So the whole group, like that's the whole point of the group was supposed to be the ads. Only 27 of the 90 million went to the ads. And then they say 50 million, so double the amount that went to ads, went into the businesses of the Lincoln Project guys. So on, this is like Steve Bannon level stuff here. Remember the Steve Bannon issue was he was like the, he was doing this we build the wall thing where he's trying to crowdfund the southern border wall. Now, there's a million legal problems with it uh, because, it, you know, you got to cut through private property and then the other property is public property. and You don't have the right to build it because your private citizens building on public land. You need to get approved by the government in order for it to go on public land. Anyway, there was all the legal canard. But, yeah, some of the money they went towards trying to build a wall, but a lot of it didn't. And a lot of it went towards them buying shit for themselves or funneling it to their own businesses. Everybody correctly called that fraud. But when it comes to these guys, nobody says it. Well, now Fox is saying it. And don't get it twisted. The only reason Fox is saying it is because Daddy Trump is still Daddy Trump. And so this is, in a way, defending him. But, like, they're right. All of the rest of mainstream media 
has not been honest about this even a little bit. The rest of mainstream media adores the Lincoln Project guys, and here's why. It feeds their narrative. The narrative that mainstream media loves is, and I'm talking CNN, MSNBC, the nightly news. So this isn't Fox Business and Fox News. Those are just the Republican hack networks, right? But the narrative that they love is Trump bad, other Republicans are good and reasonable Republicans, and we can work with the other Republicans, but the Trump Republicans we can't. So like, oh, don't you miss the day when we had establishment Democrats and establishment Republicans like Biden and Bush agreeing to do the illegal Iraq war? Weren't those the days? Bipartisanship! Yes, bipartisanship to kill brown people. They love that. They're in the cult of bipartisanship and civility and decorum. And so this gives them the exact narrative that they're looking for, which is Trump bad. People like Trump bad. Trump supporters bad. But other reasonable Republicans that have decorum and civility, like Mitt Romney, we love them so much. Even though, again, functionally, Trump and Romney, like they're right there together on policy on everything. The Lincoln Project guys and Trump kind of agree on policy as well. So, again, it's not ideological, which is another reason why it's obnoxious and annoying, because it's like, how dumb are you guys? How unserious are you guys? But here you go. So the media, all these scandals, the media said Dickie McGee's acts. They tried to, like, hide it or cover it up or lie by omission when it came to um, the Lincoln Project guys. But the one that really burst the bubble where they couldn't really do it anymore was one of the guys from the Lincoln Project was, like, a serial sexual predator, and he... It was even to the point where he would go after underage boys. And so I think that sort of burst the bubble and made it so that there wasn't even the attempt anymore to try to play defense. Whereas when it was just the money issues, there was, like, they just lied by omission and didn't talk about it. But now with the sexual stuff, they're like, you know, even they've sort of given up and now the Lincoln Project has imploded. So, listen, don't trust, like, former Bush-era Republicans to suddenly be some sort of democratic saviors it's but they were so ripe like the resistance wine moms were just so ripe to be taken advantage of and that's what happened with the lincoln project guys so you know just got to be more objective about this stuff and you got to be skeptical about this stuff as opposed to just anybody who utters any banal anti-trump sentiment you think they're a hero this is what happens when people do that okay All right, let's make fun of David Rubin. What do you guys think about that? I think that's a good idea. Making fun of David Rubin. Calling him David Rubin. Making fun of David Rubin. Dave Rubin has gone full Fox News idiot conservative. Here he is yucking it up with uh, one of the biggest Republican radio host clowns, Mark Levin. Uh, 
something happened. What happened to the JFK liberal? What happened to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country? I mean, really think about that statement. JFK, who was a liberal Democrat, although he did want to get out of wars, which is now not something Democrats want to do, and he also did want to reduce taxes, which is certainly not something Democrats today want to do. But ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That is 180 degrees absolute opposite of what Bernie and all of the Democrats, including Joe Biden, say now. They say, oh, we can give you this. We will give you this for free. We will artificially raise this wage. You will get free education. You will get free health care. And that's the reverse of actually what true liberalism is. So for me, it's sort of a debate on do I want to keep trying to save the word liberalism and show people that classical liberals are, are actually modern conservatives, or do I just want to say, hey, I'm a conservative. Now, that's more of a semantic argument, but no, liberals were not always like this. The woke, totalitarian, uh, progressive ideology that has now destroyed almost all of our cultural institutions, our educational institutions, certainly our political institutions, it, that is a, a relatively new phenomenon that was brewing at the academic level, and then it just burst forth in, into society. Oh, where you begin with this stuff, man. He's just insanely dumb, and his narrative is incredibly simplistic. The JFK thing was the thing that got under my skin. He said, uh, JFK's famous quote, ask not what uh, your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He's like, Bernie and the lefties flip that, and that's unacceptable. Then he goes on to say, see what I mean? They're asking what your country can do for you. They want you to have like free health care and free education and stuff. And that's what your country does for you, not what you can do for your country. You know who else was in favor of free health care, universal health care? JFK. So <gasps> he used the quote, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He said that while also being in favor of the government still doing basic things like providing health care for all of its citizens. See, he's just, he's, he's so simple-minded, this guy. Like, you read one quote and you think that that's like totally encapsulates the ideology of somebody who was president? Like, you can't possibly be that dumb. And like, the notion that he's arguing here is, Let's have the most literal interpretation of that quote that we possibly can, which would be an argument against any and all government services, period. Because you can interpret it. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. If you want to be super literal about it, you can say this means the government shouldn't do anything ever. That's obviously not what he meant. That's clearly not what he meant. He was for universal health care. Like... How can you be actively hostile to basic government services? And he is. And he is. It's like super basic to say, hey, let's have roads, let's have bridges, let's have police, let's have infrastructure, let's have free education, let's have free health care. This is super basic stuff. And he thinks it's a sufficient argument to slap it all aside simply by bringing up the JFK quote when JFK himself believed in many of these basic government services. And, like, the self-importance, too, is do I want to keep trying to save the word liberal? You ain't saving dick, son. You're embarrassing yourself. That's what you're doing. And I always like the dumbest 
like, listen, I'm a political commentator, so of course I talk labels from time to time as well. It's like par for the course. It's just going to happen, right? But nobody talks more about labels than Dave Rubin without ever defining his terms. He's a class, classical liberal, conservative. Like, he just loves to throw around these labels, and then nobody ever, like, goes one layer deeper and say, just define what you mean for me. Does anybody think if you ask Dave Rubin to define socialism, for example, that he can give an accurate definition? Do you think there's any way he could get it? There's no way in hell he can get it. And then, by the way, I love the seamless transition from, um, so he's talking about, like, economics and free health care and free college and artificially raising wages, which, by the way, is a shot at the whole existence of a minimum wage, whole existence of a minimum wage. But then he, he makes the seamless transition to his pet issue, which is this woke totalitarian progressive ideology. You do understand that there's a difference between social issues and, like, wokeism and economic populism or social democracy, basic government services. He tries to link the two. So, like, if I can sour you on the woke totalitarian progressive ideology, so if you say, hey, man, on the social issues, these people go too far, they're too censorious, they deplatform too many people, he wants, hand in hand with that, he wants you to think, obviously free college is stupid and free healthcare is stupid, duh. He's trying to link those two things when there is no connection whatsoever, none, none at all. <laughs> there are plenty of people who are for free college and free healthcare and a higher minimum wage who are also like, yeah, I'm against deplatforming people and I'm for free speech. It, it's, just, it's so lazy and it's so sloppy and there's no there there and I can't believe anybody watches this and takes it seriously. I mean, Mark Levin is one of the dumbest commentators on the planet. He's really bad. He's terrible. Um, and Dave Rubin yucking it up with him. The full transition has been fascinating to watch. You know, the full transition from like, I'm a lefty to, pff, I'm like an enlightened centrist. I'm a classical liberal to like, all right, I'm fucking conservative, but I'm going to keep saying the other labels in the hopes that maybe I can confuse some more people into thinking I'm making sense when I'm not. Oh, imagine using that JFK quote to like besmirch all forms of government. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I actually, I actually agree with both. Like I agree with, no, you should ask your country to do for you. Why? Because you're paying them taxes. Like, what do you want to do? You want to pay taxes and then not have them provide basic services? So you want the government to rob you. Hey, take my money and give me nothing in return. Is that what you want? No, if you pay them, and you do, if you pay taxes, that money should go towards intelligent things, and you should prioritize. But no. He'll use that JFK quote to pretend like JFK would agree with Dave Rubin on what's good and what's bad and what government should and shouldn't do. I'll tell you what, son. I don't think JFK was full Bernie, but like he was a hell of a lot closer to Bernie Sanders than he is to your dumb ass. Okay. I got another Dave Rubin one. I don't want to do it, but I got to do it, y'all. I love it when the mask comes off, y'all. I love it when the mask comes off. So here's Dave Rubin, and um, he's going to admit it. He's going to go full pro-Trump. Broad conservative coalition 
There are very few conservatives I find inspiration from. I'll give you two who I, I suspect you like as well, which would be Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. I think they're out there. They've been talking about big tech. They're always warning about surveillance and the ever-expanding state. They, they did, both did a really nice job when we had these hearings about big tech. But that being said, and again, I think these are good, decent men who are working hard for the American people, um, let's not forget that nothing happened after those big tech hearings. You know, it's like it's a bunch of theater that we did before the election where everyone was warning about Section 230 that you talked about earlier, and then no one actually does anything. So for me, as someone that's sort of new to this side, I want to see more. The clip's not over. It's just freezing. More people that know how to fight. And I think that really was why so many people hated Trump to the level that, we, that, that they did. It wasn't about Trump's policies, which were sort of all over the place in terms of there was a lot of conservative stuff, but not everything conservative. There was definitely big government and spending in there as well. Uh, but the reason they hated Trump was not because of the policies. It was because he showed people how to fight. And there is nothing that the media and the big tech companies hate more, and, and the Democrats hate more, than someone who actually will fight. So I hope that he's able, I hope that the idea of Trump in a way lasts far longer than Trump the man, and any good idea has to live beyond one man, but I hope the idea of, hey, fight, fight, guys, because we are running thin. The American experiment, as our friend Dennis Prager often calls it, might be coming to an end. The, the worst ideas are here, and they are eliminating all of the things that we've done so well for 250 years. So I want to see more conservatives fight. Fight for what? Fight for what, Dave? Fight for what? That was the most vapid commentary I've ever heard. I want to see him fight. For what? you got to tell me exactly what you're in favor of. What you, do you want them to fight for? When I listen to other people talk about what they want politicians to fight for, it's crystal clear. Like, you watch this show, what do I want politicians to fight for? Medicare for all, free college, living wage, ending the wars, Green New Deal. You can agree or disagree, but I'm, t- I'm going to tell you every single thing I'm in favor of, legalizing marijuana, at the very least decriminalizing all drugs, probably legalize all drugs. You know, the list goes on and on. But, you know, my new favorite one is the National Direct Ballot Initiative Law. I would love that. Or the American Deal, which is, you know, the new version of the New Deal where we make our infrastructure the best in the world. Like, these are the things I care about. These are the things I fight for. I'm going to tell you what I'm in favor of. And again, you could agree or disagree. Many of you disagree with me. Totally fine. But you know what I'm fighting for. What the fuck is he in favor of? What are you in favor of? All I get from Dave Rubin all the time is like, let me tell you about labels, bro. I'm a classical liberal. That's what I am. I'm a classical liberal. Some might say I'm a conservative now, but either label's fine. Kind of like those labels, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, what are you in favor of? What the fuck are you in favor of? Listen, um, go back and watch. David Pakman did an interview with Dave Rubin, and Dave Rubin imploded. Pakman was asking the most basic policy questions of all time. Anybody who's in the political commentary game should have been able to answer these questions. He couldn't answer it. He literally didn't know what Obamacare was. He didn't know what Obamacare was. He didn't know how, how it functioned even a little bit. He didn't know the basics of Obamacare. Okay, he, he, he would say he's in favor of single payer. Then when Pacman would dig deeper, obviously he wasn't. And he would get my ideal system. And then he like described Obamacare. And Pacman was like, but you say you don't like Obamacare. That's Obamacare. He's like, new phone. Who it is, bro? He doesn't know anything about policy, period. And so, you know, but at least now it's, you know, the mask is off 
on the Trump stuff. I mean, Trump, he's a fighter, bro. You know, you know what I like? I like fighters. I want to see conservatives fight. The proof that he's not ideological and he's just vapid is when he says, I'll give you two examples of people I like. I like Ted Cruz and I like Rand Paul. There, there are striking differences between them. They're not remotely the same. There are very different policy beliefs between those two. So for you to say, I like that person and that person, that's really, that's not, they're not even that close on these things. I would argue Ted Cruz is significantly worse than Rand Paul. But he's, he's just, he's different, and you can't bring them both up. I agree with these guys. I mean, that's like, I'm trying to think of a, of a parallel. I mean, it is like when somebody on the left says, like, I like Biden and Bernie. They're very, very different. Like, that's, I mean, I guess you could make that argument, but there, there should be some sort of acknowledgement in this forum that they don't, they're not even close to agreeing on everything. You know what I mean? Um, and the thing about Trump, he says it about Trump, oh, he showed how to fight. He's not even down the line conservative, but he showed us how to fight, and I like the fight thing. Okay, but again, if you're going to fight, what are you in favor of? When Trump fights, do you agree with? the conservative stuff, or the things where he bucks orthodoxy. By the way, he doesn't even buck it that much. 98% of the time, he is down the line conservative, and these guys are wrong. They fall for some of the rhetoric versus the reality of it. But which are the things that you agree with? Again, what you're going to see with Dave Rubin, it's never, ever, ever going to come back to policy substance. It's always going to be labels, you know. And, and the funny thing is, he's doing the mirror image of his persona when he was younger and when he was at the Young Turks. When he was younger and he was at the Young Turks, it was like... Democrats need to fight, bro. That's what I'm on the side of Democrats fighting. Are you? And then now he's he's gone all the way to Republicans need to fight, bro. That's what I want. I want them to fight, don't you? What exactly do you want them to fight about? What are your opinions? What are your beliefs? Can you back them up at all? He can't. He can't. This is one of those guys who all he has is the labels and all he has is the he said she said personality garbage. It's true. It's all about the personality shit for Dave Rubin. And again, it always fundamentally comes back to the wokeism shit. You know, let, we just played the clip. He was talking about Medicare for all, more free health care, free college, uh, a higher minimum wage. And he seamlessly transitioned to like, and that's why these woke totalitarians are a big problem. That's not your talk, like that's economic populism. And then you immediately talk about social issues and link them. Like th- there's no connection. There's no connection. All right, I think I'm done beating up on Dave Rubin, but I want to say thank you to him for at least taking the pro-Trump mask off, where it's full. Yeah, I like him. I like him, and he fights. Congratulations. By the way, the, uh, one of the funniest clips I've seen is the compilation put together by Dave Rubin Clips, uh, which is like, you know, they make fun of him, basically. And it's all of his commentary on election night until Trump lost. He was convinced that the election was over and Biden lost on election night and Trump won. He was acting like that was the case. He was giving these smug rants of like, all these idiots who predicted the demise of Trump, how you like me now, son? See? You guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And this is proof of it. And then as everything started rolling in over the course of the next few days, you could see him losing it more and more and more. And of course, the narrative totally crumbles and he looks like a colossal idiot. So anyway, highly recommend checking out that clip. Dave Rubin, like, election night reaction. I don't know if, I think the clip's on Twitter, but also probably on YouTube as well. It really is a sight for sore eyes. It will make you feel good. How, like, 
smug and arrogant he is, and he's convinced that Trump won, and then he doesn't. He's got to try to, like, cover his ass a little bit. It's, it's pretty funny to watch. Okay. Okay. Next. I think this is going to surprise pretty much all of you. Take a look. Mitt Romney said, millions of Americans are struggling to make ends meet. I'm introducing a bill with Senator Tom Cotton that would increase the minimum wage while ensuring businesses cannot hire illegal immigrants. We must protect American workers. Congress hasn't raised the minimum wage in more than a decade, leaving many Americans behind. Our proposal gradually raises the minimum wage without costing jobs, setting it to increase automatically with inflation and requires employers to verify the legal status of workers. Okay. So, um, surprising, right? Pretty surprising. Now, interestingly, this actually has something to do with some, I don't know if it was GOP staffers or the politicians themselves, they saw a segment that's a, a, a Sagar and Jetty segment, where Sagar basically rips Republicans for not ever actually doing anything economically populist. And, you know, Trump used the language from time to time, never delivered. Hawley used the language, rarely if ever delivers. Um, and so he ripped him on this, and I guess it was on the minimum wage specifically. Somehow it got to some Republican staffers, and somehow it got to uh, Republican politicians, and they saw it, and they were convinced. So he actually moved them a little bit. That's amazing. Credit to him on that, because it's super rare that you can move these people. They're usually so dumb, but also so corrupt that it, they would never. But congratulations, he actually did it. Now, but here's the thing. This is damning with faint praise because they didn't even release the number yet of what it's going to be. We're going to raise the minimum wage. What are you going to raise it to? Pee-pee-poo-poo. What are you doing? We're going to raise it. Okay. Got some deets, bro? Got some details, or? No, I don't. <laughs> okay, then let me uh, bring you to a place I like to call Shut the Fuck Upsville. You belong there. Like, what are you doing? So I don't, we don't know the number, but I'm going to make a prediction right now. It ain't going to be 15. It's going to be less than 15. How low are they going to go? I don't know. Maybe they'll do 10. Maybe they'll do 12. But I don't think they're going to do 15. And so... Here's the problem. Here's the problem with this. You could actually make an argument that this is worse than doing nothing. Why? Because if you're going to use political capital and take on this fight when it comes to the minimum wage, you have to at least raise it to a living wage. Because you can't waste all the political capital, still have it be a starvation wage, and then also it's chained to inflation, so which means they'll, ne they'll never revisit the issue ever again. Because they say, hey, you get automatic raises because it's tied to inflation. What do you want me to tell you? So think about that, man. That is seriously devastating. If they propose a minimum wage increase, and if it's not a living wage, you're going to waste all your political capital. You're not going to be able to revisit the issue because it's chained to inflation, and it's still starvation wages, and workers would be desperate. So no, 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 no. This is actually in the same way that like you shouldn't praise 
some neoliberal corporate Democrat, if they, you know, when the rhetoric was $15 an hour, if they said 10 or 12, in the same way that that's like, sort of fuck you, like you got to come up to a living wage number, you should feel the same way about the Republicans. Do not feel like, oh, we'll hold them to a different standard because they're worse. They are worse, but you definitely shouldn't and don't have to hold them to a different standard. A good policy is a good policy is a good policy. And again, the downsides of doing this, wasting the political capital and not even making it a living wage, oh, that's out of this world. And then, of course, they had to sprinkle in their little, like, their little conservative twist on it, like, uh, raise the minimum wage, but also fuck the immigrants. Fuck the immigrants. Fuck the immigrants. Fuck them. Fuck them. So they had they had to do something, right? Like they weren't just going to be like, yeah, let's raise it, let's raise it to a living wage, and let's call it a day. So um, the the only good news is if you if you zoom out and look at the macro picture, this is what's called the Overton window shifting. Why is the Overton window shifting? In part because of the immense amount of activism around this issue. Credit to Fight for Fifteen. Credit to unions. Credit to every single group that's unapologetic on this front and pushing relentlessly. That's the only reason why we are where we are. And politicians who've led the charge, like Bernie, for example, among others, that's the only reason we're here. And this should be a lesson to everybody. You need to be loud. You need to be persistent. You need to be consistent. You need to shift that Overton window through pure force of will and effort. And like people are learning now is, oh, that actually works. It takes time, but it works. So dedicate yourself and never take your foot off that gas pedal because eventually you shift the Overton window at the macro level and now you have, you know, the Democrats out there for 15 and they're probably going to say 10 or 12. And again, it's Weasley bullshit, but at least that Overton window is shifting. So there you have it, man. They're going to, they're trying, they're trying, they're dipping their toe into like, that's the other thing is since we have a pandemic and a depression, they probably realize that electorally they can't get away with not at least pretending to try to be more populist, you know? And so that's what this is. It's bullshit. It's Weasley. It's nonsense, but it, there's a recognition there that, like, you know, the, the era of big government is over. That era is gone. And now we need to enter, like, a new New Deal era, a new FDR era where big government is actually welcomed because all the problems we have right now, you can't solve them without big government. And so this is, you know, inching in that direction, albeit a tiny bit. Okay. All right, let me take one more quick break. And then when we come back, I'm going to tell you Biden's approval rating, which might surprise you. It really is. uh, It's really something. Stay right there.
All right, y'all, we back, baby. We all back, we all back. Um, by the way, Crystal Kyle and friends this week, we have Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald, who I, I have the pleasure of calling a friend of mine. Um, he will be on the show. So pretty excited for that. There's a lot of stuff that I want to ask him. There's a lot of stuff, you know, I like talking to him about. So um, tune into that. You can subscribe on Substack for $5 a month and get the video or just wait until Saturday and you'll be able to get the audio for free. Anyway, all right, here we go. We have a new morning consult poll that uh, just came out. It's morning consult and Politico. Apparently Biden's job approval rating is 62%. Disapproval is 33%. So um, what we're looking at here is the honeymoon phase with a new president. That's what we're looking at. And really, if you just sort of shut the fuck up and, and go to the side and don't say anything, you can have above 50%. And Trump didn't have it because he never shut the fuck up. Um, but Biden has a 62% approval rating. That's a very, very high approval rating. That is, even for a honeymoon phase, that's a very, very high approval rating. Um, but here's the important part of this conversation. He has the political capital to do whatever the fuck he wants right now. He has the political capital to do anything right now. So now, like, let's say, for example, he decided I'm going to pardon or commute the sentences of every nonviolent drug offender that I can that's in the federal system. He could do that. I mean, that's that's popular anyway. Like the numbers show that people would enjoy that. They'd like that. But like you definitely can do that. And it would help you maintain your high approval rating. If you if you actually take the fight on for the $15 minimum wage, which all the indications are or indicators are, he's going to back off of it. But if you were to take that fight on, people would love it. If you took marijuana off of the Schedule One substances list, effectively legalizing weed, people would love it. But you, like, he even has the political capital to do things that are not necessarily popular, but right, but the correct thing to do. You know, the, this is how it works, man. Like, the, for your first however long in office, it depends how long the honeymoon phase lasts, but for your first three months, four months, five months, whatever it is, really you should be getting the bulk of your work done then because it's never going to get any easier than right there. And so I would sign a zillion executive orders. Whatever I can do through executive order, I would do through executive order. Whatever I can do through budget, re- budget reconciliation, I'd do through budget reconciliation. And then there's only a handful of fights I would take on and try to do through regular order. But, you know, that's where you sort of flex your muscle and let the other side know, hey, disagree with me at your own risk. Definitely this is what you use to keep Joe Manchin in line. Are you kidding me? Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, the right-wing Democrats, way to the right of Biden even, this is where you flex on them. Go ahead. You want to disagree with me? Go ahead. But there's going to be consequences to it, just so you know. There's consequences to your action. I got a 62% approval rating. What's yours, bitch? What's yours, bitch? I actually don't know mansions or cinemas off the top of my head. But to put it in perspective for you, if you look at Pelosi or McConnell's approval rating, it's under 30%. One is 21 and one is 28. I forgot who's who. But like, president with a 62% approval rating, no congressperson and no senator is going to get anywhere near this. So flex on him, son. This is the time to do the bold left agenda. This is the time. It's never going to get easier, ever. It's only going to get harder. It's only going to get worse from here on out. 
So keep that in mind and move forward in an intelligent way. I say that, but I don't think he's going to do it. So this video was um, a great catch by Case Study QB. Shout out to Case Study QB for finding this. There's a giant winter storm that hit Texas. And uh, so there's been a federal emergency declaration as a result of that because they don't have nearly enough plows, their infrastructure isn't winterized, so there's problems, big problems. Look at the resources that the emergency declaration mobilized. issuing a federal emergency declaration for the entire state of Texas. Governor Greg Abbott submitted the request over the weekend. This means FEMA can come in and provide shelter, food, and Medicare for all 254 counties. So because of the winter storm and the fallout and how it's a disaster, how people need help, this emergency declaration made it so that everybody can get medical care. Everybody can get medical care and it's for free. I need you to think about how little sense the system makes because people would argue, Republicans and Democrats would argue to you, we can't do an emergency declaration to give medical care to everybody in the country during the health crisis of a pandemic, but we can give everybody medical care for a winter storm crisis. That makes less than no sense. That makes absolutely no sense. That is insulting to our intelligence. That's what that is. You actually do have the authority to give everybody medical care in this pandemic, but you're choosing not to do it. That's the truth. You're choosing not to take that fight on. And by the way, it's not even like, so this is an emergency declaration through FEMA. There are other ways you could do it with Medicare for All, where apparently under Obamacare, there's a certain town, I forget where it is in the U.S., and there was this pollution problem, and basically it's an area where it's toxic. And so under Obamacare, they basically provided free health care to this particular place in the country. And the wording of the provision is such that it says whenever there's an emergency, you could give people single payer, free health care. Um, so it's just a matter of looking at that provision, interpreting it as COVID is an emergency for the whole country, so let's give everybody medical care. So in other words, you could technically do it through FEMA in an emergency declaration, or you can do it through... Obamacare, using that provision to expand it. And as David Dayen laid out in a great article on this, he said, listen, you could start just by saying any bills associated with the pandemic. You know, you could start by saying if, if the bills are from the pandemic, that's part of the health crisis, then eventually you can expand it to anything. So, I mean, there's a variety of ways to actually do it and get away with it, but they don't want to do it. Biden doesn't want to do it. And listen, I hate to bring this up, except I don't. <laughs> it's true. They take so much money from the for-profit health insurance companies. You know, they've since multiple times, they've weakened their 
proposal on health care. Multiple times they've done it. And the reason why is they've taken so much money from the for-profit health insurance companies. And so now they went from like a public option to let's just subsidize COBRA with a lot more money. And COBRA, of course, is great for the for-profit health insurance companies. So it's Weasley and it's bullshit and it's corrupt. And it's moments like this where you have that, you know, you have that light bulb moment that like, wait, what? So we have the authority, free medical care for everybody because of a winter storm in Texas. Great, but free medical care for everybody because there's a fucking pandemic and a subsequent depression, by the way. But there's a health crisis, literally, it's a pandemic. That's not how they're looking at it. It's sort of like, hey, you're still on your own. It's really crazy. But anyway, this is a great catch by Case Study QB. Apparently, winter storms merit Medicare for all, but a pandemic doesn't. Definitely does, and they should do it, but they're bought and owned by the for-profit health insurance companies. Okay. In the period just after the election, it was total chaos, and a lot of conservatives would do anything to feel like it's not over and there's hope. So take a look at this. Trump supporter gave $2.5 million to investigate voter fraud and wants his money back. So the guy's name is Fred Eshelman. He's a wealthy man from North Carolina, and um, he talked on the phone to the head of a small conservative group called True the Vote. And they convinced him, like, we're fighting this fraudulent election. We're on the front lines of this battle. We're waging a bunch of the court cases. So, you know, donate to us, and I guarantee you, you won't regret it. So he did. I think he gave $2 million at one point, and then another 500000 or maybe it was the other way around. Um, either way, that's a lot of money that he gave. Well, come to find out, quote, True the Vote directed much of his money to people or businesses connected to the group's president, Catherine Engelbrecht. So this is the same, listen, this is exactly what Trump was doing. He was raising money saying, we're going to fight this in the courts. And then most of the money just went down to pay his campaign debts. You know, this is exactly what the Lincoln Project guys were doing. They were taking money and funneling it to their own businesses. So this is the same thing except taking money from people, claiming you got a chance to fight the election results, and then... They don't even know, like, if any of the money went towards that. You know what I mean? So, but listen, this gets to a, a bigger conversation. It's, and it's, it is an interesting conversation. How do you feel about this? Like, do you feel like, hey, since, like, you're such a sucker that you fell for this and, like, that's on you, dog. Because... Part of me feels like, how did any of these people think any of these attempts were real to begin with? Boggles my mind that anybody could have been convinced that, like, after we got the election results, they're like, no, there's actually a chance we're going to overturn it. I find that so far-fetched, and I think that that mindset is so outside of the norm that, like, I almost feel like if you fell for that, you deserve to whatever you donate to go up in flames. Part of me feels like that, but then the other part of me feels like, but hold on, 
if they're actually committing fraud, so in other words, if they're actually taking the money and like the money is just not going towards the thing that they said it was going to go towards, well, then it's like, even though it's kind of funny, it's still a situation where under, under the law, they have been wronged. You know what I mean? But see, there's a lot of groups like this that popped up and a lot of people donated to them. And you just, I, it, you don't know because there's not enough reporting on this and we don't have all the information, but you don't know which groups were serious, which groups weren't serious, what percentage of the money went towards the court, you know, the court process to overthrow the election results and what didn't. Like, we just don't know. We don't have enough information. But like, I'm sure some of the groups, even though they're crazy, there was a good faith effort, you know, because there were, you know, I don't know, over 60 court cases and Trump lost like all but one of them. So there were attempts, there were attempts to do it, but like, some groups were legit, some groups weren't, some were somewhere in the middle where some of the money would go towards that and others won't. In, in this case, it looks like this, this group was particularly shitty. It looks like it's, it's particularly bad. And so this guy is like, hey, fuck you. You didn't deliver on, and, and the details of this are fascinating because what he realized is the, he would stay in constant contact with them to try to get updates and to try to understand what was happening himself. And what would happen is every time he would call them, they would jump from one election fraud conspiracy claim to another. So he'd be like, well, hold on. You told me that this was going on in this state and you were fighting on this one. Why are you now talking about a different state and a different claim? What about the other one? Do you have results for the other one? And every time he tried to talk to them about this shit, they would just jump from one claim to another to another. He'd never get closure on the previous ones and after a while he was like oh this is like i'm just being had right now but again it's like th there's this whole ecosystem of this because trump was doing the same shit when you read the fine print on the emails he was sending out it was like yeah i'm pretending like you're giving me money so i could overturn the the results of the election but the fine print was like most of the money is not going towards that at all it's going towards trump and his own campaign debts and maybe even into some of their pockets so there you have it man it became an industry to me, the stunning part was just how brazen it all was. Like with One America News Network and Newsmax, I was always thinking like, what the fuck is your end game, bro? They keep pretending like, oh, there's a chance the election results are going to be overturned and it's fraudulent and this problem and that problem. And I was watching it the whole time like, what's your end game? Eventually Biden's going to be sworn in and then what the fuck are you going to do? You're going to, it's just you're going to be exposed as the biggest idiots on the planet and you've been pushing the most bogus narrative ever. How can you, that's embarrassing to do that. But honestly, in many situations, it was all about that. You know, they spoke to, it was either the head of Newsmax or One American News Network, and that person was like, yeah, we know, but what are we going to do? We're getting some amazing ratings. So they viewed that as an opportunity to grab parts of Fox News' audience. But like, yeah, but eventually it's going to blow up because Biden's going to get, you know, inaugurated. And then Fox News was right when they were like, yeah, Biden won, it's over. So now you just look like idiots, and they'll probably go back to Fox. But who knows? Who knows what's going on in the mind of the very far right-wing crowd? But there you have it, man. I'm sure there's a lot of people who lost a lot of money donating to the overturn the election stuff. And a lot of these groups were, a lot of these groups knew they were shaking people down. Okay. Okay, next. This will be the final story of the day. Got a lot I got to get to today. Busy day ahead. So the media has seriously become a parody of itself 
um, in, in many ways, particularly when it comes to this administration. Look at this. Joe Biden, playing as Luigi, wins Mario Kart race against granddaughter at Camp David. President Biden has expressed a preference for a fire built in the Oval Office fireplace and sometimes adds a log himself to keep it going. Unlike his recent predecessors, he's more of an early-to-bed type. Here's how Biden is settling, settling into his new job. When you read shit like this, you do understand why the right is so resentful and they distrust mainstream media. Because they would never, in a million years, write some shit like this about Trump when he was president. They would never do like the happy-go-lucky, look at him with the kids and let me tell you about his routine. They would never do that with Trump because they don't like Trump. So there is, listen, there is a bias. Be, let's be upfront about it. Now, Fox News is biased in favor of Trump and the Republicans. But yes, MSNBC, CNN, a lot of these outlets are biased in favor of the corporate Democrats. It's not ideological. So they're not left wing. But they are biased in favor of the corporate Democrats. They like the establishment on the Democratic side, whereas Fox News likes the establishment on the Republican side. So it's disgusting. It's gross. And, and you know, just like Shuan Head was saying on Twitter, for the next four years, it's going to be Fox News and everybody in the right wing media ecosystem screaming that Biden is a socialist, and that he's far left and he's out of control. And then corporate media, the Democratic media, is going to be doing shit like this. The happy-go-lucky, old Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe, Grandpa Joe, we love you, man. We love you. You're such a good guy. He's not ever committed any war crimes or locked up innocent people because of drugs or anything like that. We love you, man. This is why media is at an all-time low. Right now, it's, it's historic how much the media is hated. And you can see why. Fox News is a Republican propaganda. One American News Network and Newsmax, same thing. They're even worse. And then the rest of the corporate media outlets, this is what you get. They like Biden. So this is the, this is the propaganda element of what they do. Eh, make you like him and relate to him as a person. So maybe you'll overlook when he does the policy stuff that totally ends up helping corporate America and screwing you. So I get it. I get why, why conservatives hate the media. But the fact of the matter is they, they go to all the wrong places for their answers. Like they think, oh... CNN and MSNBC are so bad, so I must go to Fox News. No, Fox News is just as bad in a different way, arguably even worse, you know? So none of them are telling you the truth. None of them are telling you the truth. But I think the heavy-handed nature of this propaganda makes it extra insufferable. You know what I mean? That, like, they wouldn't even admit that what they're doing here is propaganda and that they like Joe Biden. They said, what do you mean? It's just a story. I'm just telling a story about playing Mario Kart with his granddaughter. Isn't that amazing? He loves his granddaughter. Isn't he an amazing man? Four years of this, man, four years of this. I can't. It's tough. It's tough to watch it and and keep your sanity. Okay. All right, guys. Busy day ahead. I love y'all. Got a lot to do. I'll talk to everybody soon. As I said, Glenn Greenwald is going to be on Crystal Kyle and Friends. I'm looking forward to that. I'll talk to y'all later. Peace.